Before we get into the issue, I just wanted to let you guys know that this is the free version of the podcast, and all that means is that this is far behind where I'm at in the Patreon version. So if you're liking this and you need more John Constantine, you can't get enough, be sure to go over to patreon.com slash planes, trains, and comic books, all one word, and sign up for the Hellblazer tier, which gives you access to the entire Hellblazer library that I've done so far, and a new Hellblazer podcast every week. And you'll also get the exclusives from our main Planes, Trains, and Comic Books podcast. So if any of that interests you, definitely check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash planes, trains, and comic books, all one word. And with that, let's get into the issue. Today, we are reading Hellblazer number 23. And just a little catch up on what happened last time. So we wrapped up the Fear Machine story arc with Constantine being washed away in the ocean by the dragons that represented the male and female powers of the Earth who after being called forth like collapsed into the ocean together and created a tidal wave and so John was separated from the freedom mob and his friends Zed and Marge and Mercury who were the ones who brought forth the female dragon of the earth power or whatever and uh, so they actually like separated and we don't know what happened to them but we know what happened to John he got found by some fishermen and that's where we left off last issue so first things first we got the cover here of issue 23 and we see the eyes of John Constantine, I assume, peering through some kind of parchment that has some writing on it. And the writing is looking like it's fairy tales or something. Like we can see uh, it says, uh, Grandma, what big teeth you have, the better to eat you up, you know, like from Little Red Riding Hood. So uh, obviously this has something to do with maybe fairy tales or Grimm's fairy tales or something. And then uh, we see the writer is Jamie Delano on this issue, and the artist is a new artist named Ron Tinner. And on the first page, we pick up with Constantine, who is hitching a ride with a trucker, and as opposed to the last time he was hitching a ride with a trucker, if you remember, like on the first issue of Fear State, where the guy was being super creepy, this guy is super nice, and John's like, this guy's awesome, I love joking with him, Uh, it's a good time all around. And we can see a sign while they're driving that says London and Northampton, so I guess that's the area that he eventually gets dropped off in. And once he gets dropped off, we see the narration saying that it's been three weeks since they fished him out of the ocean, uh, but nothing seems very different in the world. And he says in the narration that the dragons didn't stop long enough to change our minds. We had a chance to write the brilliant future, but we were too slow and stupid. So basically, uh, nothing changed as far as humans are concerned with the earth and how we're abusing it and whatnot. And he's just kind of waxing poetic about how us humans never learn from our mistakes and we're pretty stupid. He says, we go on carrying our small minds around the small world, worrying about small problems like food, money, and a warm place to sleep, of which I am short of right now. So, of course, when he was with the pagan nation and everybody up in Scotland, he didn't have any money or food or anything or a place to stay. And so he's got to fix that now. So he's figuring he's got to go visit a friend who we've kind of offhanded mentioned before, not really by name, but just a broker who he sells his like occultic antiques to, and that's how he gets money sometimes. So he starts walking the streets to that friend's house, and we see that someone is actually following him. He kind of notices, but it's like a blind man, and he's like, that's weird. Someone's following me. And then as he gets closer to his friend's place, he's like, 
unfamiliar with the area, which is weird because he's been here multiple times. And we see him pass a road named Stevenson Road, which comes into play later. And uh, he says, it's funny, but he doesn't remember there being a pub here. And there's a pub named the Abner and Benton. And he's like, where do I know that name from? That sounds very familiar. So he continues walking and he finally gets to his friend's house. And we see there's a plaque on the front of it that says Jehoshaphat O'Flynn obscure commodities broker and we can also see that that blind man is still following him and tapping his way into the courtyard right behind constantine so john reaches up as he gets to the door and he rings the doorbell and no one answers right away so he kind of opens the mail slot and as he does a bunch of dogs start barking at him like very aggressively and he's like what the heck and he yells for his friend to open up and once his friend hears his voice he's like oh john good it's you and then he's like did anyone follow you is anyone near you and John assures him, no, there's no one with me. Of course, I'm by myself. So after his friend wrangles his dogs, he opens the door. And as he does, the blind man that was following Constantine runs in just behind him and pushes his way through and shoves a folded piece of paper into the hand of his friend. And then the blind guy just runs out of the house like nothing happened. And we see that this issue is called larger than life. So while the blind man's running out through the courtyard, we see his friend say no and yell out loud as he kind of realizes what he's been given. And we don't quite know what that is yet. But uh, Constantine yells back at him and is like, hey, you bastard, come back. And then the blind man proceeds to run into the street and into an oncoming car and gets run over just as John is kind of following behind him. And then the driver comes out and is like, oh, my God, is he OK? And John, who was close behind, kind of looks under the car and magically that blind man is gone. There's no blood or anything. And uh, John just kind of looks at the guy and says, nobody's here, chum. Looks like it's your lucky day. And the driver's still upset, but John is like, hey, there's no victim. There's no crime. You should make yourself scarce. And then John walks back into his friend's place. And when he walks in, we see exactly how crowded of antiquities this house is. There's just crap all over the place. And as John walks further into this guy's house, he walks into another room and that room is more full than any other room. And there's stuff that kind of seems familiar like to the reader maybe if you're paying attention there's like a, a crocodile hanging from the ceiling that's got something in his mouth and there's like a trident and like a bottle that says drink me on it so i don't know there's just things that you might know if you are are really really well versed in fairy tales so as john walks in his friend says help yourself you bastard you've sealed my doom you may as well drink my grog and john says thanks who was that man anyway what did he want and his friend pulls out the piece of paper that he was given and he shows Constantine and he says, the black spot. Don't you recognize him? That was blind pew. And John's like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> and uh, his friend's like from Treasure Island. The black spot is a death sentence in the pirate's court. And John's kind of taken aback by this answer. And he's like, you better sit down, friend, because this may come as a shock. But Treasure Island is a storybook. But his friend just kind of drops it and says, like, you know, just sit down and tell me why you came here in the first place. So John tells him that he wants to make a trade. And at the word trade, uh, his friend gets very, like, greedy eyed and is like, really? What do you offer? What do you desire? And John says, well, I've got a drop of demon blood and I want some money. And his friend's like, well, I don't usually deal in demon blood. It's kind of a difficult commodity and a little bit unusual. But uh, how much do you have? And John tells him, well, it's a bit diluted with mine, but I'd be prepared to part with a pint or so. And I guess because John was joking, his friend gets kind of mad and is like, you bastard, Constantine, you're taking the piss. You're on their side, aren't you? And John's like, what are you talking about? Whose side? And then his friend like hits a bunch of books off of a stand and he begins to explain that 
He's super fed up with these writers using his life as inspiration for their stories and how he hasn't gotten a penny from any of them, but they take all his adventures and they make them into these fairy tales that live on forever and make a bunch of money and he isn't seeing any of that. So John talks to him a bit and kind of calms him down and talk about what's really been going on and why he's so like anxious and freaked out. So his friend begins to tell John when this all started, and we get a flashback to, it just says, the day in question. So we don't know how long ago this was, but on this day in question, his friend is rudely awakened by an early morning visitor, and his friend narrates, I had scarce completed my toilet before the visitor arrived. I had arisen a little after noon, having celebrated well the successful conclusion of my previous day's business. The gentleman inquired as to the availability of cocaine, claiming common acquaintance with a policeman friend of mine as credential. So we see his friend open the door and the man inquiring about cocaine is not exactly what you would think of as like someone who's going to buy drugs. He's a very dapper looking man. And so his friend invites him in to get the cocaine, which he has in like little test tubes that are hidden in books in his library. And once he gives the cocaine to the visitor, the guy's like, do you have any distilled water available? I would like to partake of this here. And as he's saying this, he's pulling out a syringe. So apparently he's getting ready to mix the cocaine and water and inject it. So he tells John's friend, it is my custom to prepare a standard pharmaceutical solution and inject directly into the vein. Thus are the concentrative powers of the brain best mustard. So basically he's like, can I do this cocaine here? Because it helps me concentrate and think. And as the visitor says that, John's friend realizes who this person is. And basically they don't say it directly, but it is Sherlock Holmes. And Sherlock says, I see, sir, from the gape of your jaw that you have perceived my faint disguise. Did you imagine you could evade my powers of detection? I have assembled the evidence, discovered the clues, tracked you hardbound and softbound through chapter and verse. Until now you stand before me, living, guilty proof that the laws of fiction have been transgressed. Here you may call yourself Jehoshaphat P. O'Flynn, and then he picks up a book and he holds it in his hand and points to it and says, but in this world, you are Magnus G. Tolstoy, and in this, you're Hieronymus Smith, and in at least four other works, always the same character disguised by a different name. And Jehoshaphat, still kind of being coy, is like, but is it a crime to be in a book? And Sherlock responds, no, but you may not inhabit both the world of fiction and this mundane plane, unless the statutory period of copyright has expired. So it seems that Jehoshaphat O'Flynn, the guy that Constantine has been selling all his wares to, is actually a character from a bunch of books and fables and has somehow escaped those books and made himself into an antiques dealer in our world. And apparently that is some kind of transgression against book law like you can't leave until your copyright is up and maybe you're like public domain so jehoshaphat's kind of angry with this and he's like but i'm real and sherlock says i fear not so your life is proclaimed fantasy and privilege of the freedom you exercise unearned and as he says that someone knocks on the door and sherlock says oh that'll be my assistant so sherlock takes his leave and as he's leaving he tells jehoshaphat they'll come for you soon i expect a word of advice, if you'll permit me, it's better not to resist. I am a gentleman, logical, scientific. Others of my plane you may find more unpredictable. So then we cut back to John and Jehoshaphat sitting in the collectibles room. 
And John's kind of got like an unbelieving smirk on his face. So Jehoshaphat's like, it's true, John. I wouldn't make it up. In fact, I'll admit, I'm starting to get a bit nervous. You don't believe me, do you? And John responds, believe everything, doubt everything. I keep an open mind, mate. And then he kind of thinks to himself, I'd be hard-pressed to suspend my disbelief if I hadn't just realized that the inn in Treasure Island is called the Admiral Benbow, which is the name of that bar that he saw on the way in here. So Jehoshaphat asks him, what do you think I should do? And John's like, I don't know, mate. Pray for a happy ending, I guess. Let's go out for a drink and see if we can get a bit of inspiration. And right as he says that, the phone begins to ring, and Jehoshaphat picks it up, and he's like, hello, what? Who are you? You, oh shit. And then we hear over the phone as John kind of picks up the drops telephone receiver and the guy on the other end is saying, so I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. And as the person on the phone finishes saying that, all of a sudden a big gust of wind blows all through the house, like opening all the windows and even like pushing all the books and everything flying across the room. And even John and Jehoshaphat are having trouble standing. So they decide in that second that they need to leave the house. So Jehoshaphat's like, I've changed my mind. Let's go. I'll get the dogs. And then uh, he calls his dogs who are both named Cerebus. So they run out of the house and they begin to run down the street. And it seems like there's a wolf like following them possibly. But it seems like they lose them, and as they stop to catch their breath, you know, because John's a smoker and Jehoshaphat's not the most in-shape fellow, uh, Jehoshaphat begins to laugh really loud, and he's like, Ah, a grown man pissing himself with fear at a bloody fairy tale. And then John kind of begins to lecture him and say, Well, that's the trouble. Your ego's built you a mythic personality, trapped you in a limbo between fact and fantasy. All these writers putting you in their books have blurred the edges more. Now more people think you're a work of fiction than know you as a man. And then all of a sudden, Jehoshaphat hears something. And he's like, Wait, don't you feel it? There's something watching us, something in the night something primal and fierce and then they look up in the tree above them and they see something standing on the limb and jehoshaphat yells to his dogs kill cerebus crunch its bones and as he says that we see a figure drop down from the tree and it is actually a man and i think this is supposed to be tarzan if i had to guess because they say he has like a low simian rumble and he's moving very ape-like so the second the man hits the ground, the dogs begin to attack him, and they're not any match for him, but they at least give John and Jehoshaphat time to run away as this man tears these dogs apart with his hands and teeth. So John and Jehoshaphat are able to run pretty far away at least and get enough distance so that they can kind of slow down and think about stuff. And as they're walking, they come upon a bar named the Caxton Arms, which I'm sure is from some fairy tale or work of literature that I have not read. So John is like, I think I want that drink now. This place looks reasonably harmless. So they walk into this pub and it seems pretty normal. No one's stopping to look at them or anything. And they just walk in kind of without people noticing them. But as they sit at the bar to order drinks, some guy next to them begins to talk their ear off and is like, you will have a drink with me, please. And Jehoshaphat notes that he has a Nordic accent. So they begin to drink with this guy and uh, John's kind of looking around and we're seeing some kind of strange people. There's a guy that kind of has a weird top hat with a card in it that looks a lot like the Mad Hatter. And then we see the Nordic gentleman talking to them is saying that his father was a good man, a strong man, and it must have been poison that they killed him with. So this Nordic guy continues to talk about his life and like his parents and stuff. And it's very apparent after a while that this is supposed to be Hamlet. So John is suspicious as, you know, he's looking around and he sees some people he's not sure about, and he tells Jehoshaphat, 
check out the party around the dartboard and the two boys in the corner. I think we should slip away out back. And the men he was pointing out by the dartboard are seven gentlemen who are of short stature, but they all look pretty buff. And as John and Jehoshaphat are trying to slip out the side door, they walk next to the area where these guys are. And one of them looks at Jehoshaphat and says, hey, I seen you eyeing up our girlfriend. You think you can have her just because you're tall and cool and we're small? Well, you can't, see? She's ours. And then <laughs> these seven gentlemen begin to jump on Constantine and Jehoshaphat and uh, try to stab them with darts and hit them with beer bottles. And John and Jehoshaphat are able to make it out of there alive, although John did get stabbed with a bunch of darts that he has to pull out of his arm. So if you didn't catch it, those were supposed to be the seven dwarves of Snow White. And the comic kind of continues like that for a little while where uh, they continue to walk places and it ends up them being at different establishments or areas where they run into these fairy tale characters. Some of them I know, some of them I don't know. They definitely walk by Peter Pan who calls them both old and then says that he has like a cure that might be able to help them with keeping their youth. And then as John and Jehoshaphat walk away and tell him, you know, we don't we don't want any, basically, uh, we see a hook come out of the shadows and is about to stab into the neck of Peter Pan. They also walk by a prostitute who calls herself Nancy, and I'm not sure who she's supposed to be, but uh, she, she's working with a guy named Bill Sykes, who is the bad guy from Oliver Twist, I believe. And he's pretending to be a taxi cab driver. So Nancy actually like whispers in Constantine's ear and says, don't go with that guy. He's really bad. So John tells him to piss off. And as they walk away, we see Bill Sykes is very angry at Nancy for warning them. And he beats her to death with a tire iron. But this was not just a random act of violence. There was a, a motive to it because that gets the attention of Jehoshaphat. And he turns around and he says, leave her be, you blackguard. Desist. And he begins to chase the man down the street as the man runs into the city library. Now, John, being smart, realizes kind of what's going on. And he's like, no, wait, look where he's going. But that was Bill's plan all along. He was trying to lure Jehoshaphat into the library. And John does not follow him into the library. He just kind of walks up to the window and peers inside to see what's going on. And as he's standing there, Sherlock Holmes actually comes out of the shadows and puts his hand on John's shoulder and tells him, you can't enter there, Constantine, not yet. And John's like, well, what will happen to him? And Sherlock answers, he's guilty of disregarding certain prime literary laws. He has usurped the privilege of fleshy form, usually granted only to those of us who have time-served apprenticeships bound in copyright. And as he's saying this, we see that his friend Jehoshaphat is being put on trial by all these different figures of literature. And Sherlock continues, even then, only those who win immortality through enduring fame are permitted to roam at will in the public domain. And that trial was really, really short because it seems like his friend was found guilty and is now being bound and dragged down somewhere in the library catacombs, I guess. And John asks, where will they take him? And Sherlock answers, down into the limbo of forgotten books, the muttering catacombs whose shelves are lined with the moldering bones of a million minor characters, maybe to return or maybe not. 
And then we get a great shot of John's friend Jehoshaphat being dragged down the stairs as he's like bound with ropes and everything. And John's watching it going, Jesus. And then we see the person who's dragging him down the stairs is a life-size Winnie the Pooh. And that is the end of the issue. Uh, that one was an interesting issue. It felt a lot like a Sandman comic or something with the with the literary characters and everything. So that was kind of cool. But a, a definitely different feel from the rest of the series that has already happened. And definitely different from the next storyline, which we're beginning next issue. And that storyline is called The Family Man. So if you have any comments or questions, you can email me at planes, trains, and comic books, all one word at gmail.com. And we will see you on the next one.